HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash curd. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comte Cheese Association. Comte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Comte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. My name is Aaron Foster. I'm your host for today. And joining me uh, remotely via satellite interlink is Matteo Keeler uh, from the Cellars at Jasper Hill. Um, Matteo, if you've listened to the show at all and know anything at all about cheese, he probably needs no introduction, but... That won't stop me from giving one anyway. Um, Mateo is the co-founder of Jasper Hill Farm and the Settlers of Jasper Hill, along with his brother Andy, um, which they've grown into just uh, a remarkable business uh, up in the Northeast Kingdom in Vermont, making cheese, maturing cheese, uh, growing hay, doing all sorts of um, just vertically integrated uh, cheesy greatness. And um, we are going today to have him join us and discuss uh, COVID-19, which I know you've all probably reached your limit on. But uh, I think it's important that we keep talking about it and, and keep thinking about it. So welcome, Mateo. I'm so glad to be here with you, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you. We've known each other a long time and I, I miss you. I know. I can't wait to... Uh... Maybe uh, tip one back with you uh, when this is all over. and uh, Yes, break bread and some. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, all right, let's, let's dive right into it. I guess uh, I, I'll, I'll kind of bring us around to the beginning, which is just that um, about, a f- I don't know, probably three or four episodes ago, uh, I did a show with my co-host, Elena Santagade, about sort of beginnings of the COVID-19 situation and how we were handling it at uh, my store, Foster Sundry. Um, And 
you know, I feel like this is one of those things where things are evolving on the ground on a, on a weekly, daily, or even hourly basis. And we're, we're constantly, uh, I think I use the, the metaphor then of like building a plane while flying through the fog, um, and knowing there are mountains around and trying to figure out how to get to your destination safely. Uh, I, I describe it as riding a ping pong ball. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, I, well, let, let's start. Uh, how are you holding up? Uh, it's it's like an emotionally draining kind of thing. And so, um, how are you? Yeah. Doing? Well, I think um, things are starting to. Uh, I I think we've like transitioned out of emergency, uh, like fight or flight mode, into what is uh, now kind of like normal. New normal. Yes, and, that uh, the new normal is the phrase I keep hearing around. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think it, we we made a very conscious decision to uh, start talking about uh, this as uh, being kind of a new stable place. This is how things are going to be. Uh, communicating with our team about like masks are here to stay. You know, this is like we're we're into uh, something that's stable. It's not like we have to like completely reinvent how we uh, do our work. Uh, you know, anymore uh, that that we went through uh, a, a, like a crazy uh, period of uh, transition and change and adapting to um, you know just crafting a response to like the crisis as it was hitting from an operational to like sales and like out outreach communication work from home like all that uh stuff happened all at once and we're kind of you know sliding into this more uh you know less frantic mode right so you're kind of all of those initial like let's just everything goes in a blender and we figure out what works and we kind of rebuild it as we're driving it kind of situation yeah. that's yeah you're through that initial michigas yeah, thank um, God, because that was that was just that was just exhausting, and and not that uh, you know everybody's working a lot harder uh, than uh, they were in our in our business uh, before you know uh, pre like pre COVID life is harder. We're working more. Um, there's just a lot, there's been a huge amount of inertia that's that we've had to break in order to like really uh, pivot as an organization, but it's working. You know, and so when you, so how are you defining working? I guess is one of my questions. Um, I, I guess I'd say that you know uh, six weeks ago, um, this was like COVID represented like an existential moment for our business. Uh, the first thing we did when uh, social distancing uh, orders and you know um, shelter in place orders. Uh, came down uh, and restaurants and bars closed uh, was we made the really difficult decision to disperse our herd of cows at Jasper Hill. Yeah, now this got a lot of uh, sort of a lot of attention certainly from the cheese industry and a lot of press, um, I mean, relatively speaking. Um, and, and tell me a little bit about what that means. Like that, you know, I feel like that obviously must have been a very emotional decision for you guys and... Um, you know, I think from the outside, it now was it was it like something that you had been thinking about at all before COVID, or did it no. just make okay? No, no. You know, it's like uh, we've always operated from 
uh, from this idea that the herd is the foundation, you know, of the business. The herd is the foundation of wealth. The herd is like at the heart of the business. And, well, these are the uh, Ayrshire's the you know that you first got when you just got started, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so these would be you know uh, the great 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 granddaughters, some of them. Sure, of, right. They're not the same cows. <laughs> of the uh, of the of the girls that uh, started uh, with us, um, actually uh, seventeen years ago. Um, yeah, we made our first batch of cheese uh, seventeen years ago this week. Um, and, um, but it was such a, it was a moment in which it was just really unclear how, uh, how long this was going to last. And it's clear this is going to go on for some time. Um, and our ability to survive it, uh, was going to be predicated on our ability to manage cash, uh, at a moment where we could see, uh, this just like, radical decline, uh, precipitous decline in, in, in our sales. Right. And, um, so um, did that, you know, when, when things shut down, I I remember in New York, there was basically a specific day when everyone was like, Oh shit, this it's real. I think it was March 16th. Yeah. I I feel like in my brain, it was a (laughs) Thursday. Um, like it just, the whole world decided that, uh, yeah, and Mar- it was March 16th when, like, things really, like, started getting real for us up here. We're, like, you know, a little time delay here. Right. And it, it um, now, what did that look like for you? Because it's, it, you know, our experience down here, um, you know, we're, I think we're experiencing it, in New York City at least, as, like, a very acute danger, um, like feeling of physical danger, but I have to imagine that for you guys up there, you, you know, your first effects were not this fear of like getting sick as much as the, of like, where's the business going? Was that accurate or not, or not as much? Um, well, um, my wife, Angie is immunocompromised and, um, you know, we have elderly people uh, in our, you know, our, our parents uh, are, are around. And we have people in the business that are at risk. And so, you know, um, we never uh, got the experience uh, that uh, you guys uh, have lived through. Uh, you know, social distancing is a way of life <laughs> up here. It takes right. uh, Twenty just years to get to Vermont know your neighbor, time, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and um, uh, Vermonters uh, have taken this in- incredibly seriously. You know, the curve in Vermont has been like flattened. Um, you know, everything is moved to like curbside. Even uh, in our uh, like small community, you know, everybody's wearing masks. Um, We've done a really good job of preventing, you know, a health catastrophe because there are only 287 hospital beds in the state of Vermont, right? And so... That um, blows my mind. There's there's 287 people that probably live within 50 yards of me. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, Vermont doesn't have the infrastructure to, like, deal with... Uh, a pandemic and the the response across the state from Vermonters everywhere has been 
uh, pretty remarkable and, and effective. It's, it's not over though, you know, and um, it's summertime uh, and uh, the big scuttlebutt around here is, you know, it's basically all those Bostonians and uh, New Yorkers are about to start showing up. And uh, I, I, I believe that uh, our COVID challenges uh, in our community are before us, right? So this isn't going to be over for, for a long time. And, you know, I think that uh, that kind of uh, jives with uh, our, like, outlook as to what our market is going to look like uh, over the next couple of years. And, you know, it's... Uh, where, you know, this, it's the long haul. So just bringing it back to like, um, selling off our herd of Ayrshire's, um, which, you know, they, they went to, uh, two neighbors from whom we purchased milk and a third farm, Andersonville farm that we manage. So those cows are still in the system, but so we're they're in the able- extended family, so to speak. Yeah. We have agreements to get, uh, their daughters, um, back. Um, oh wow! Okay, yeah, that's great. So, so uh, the cows uh, that that left us uh, that week won't be coming back, but it's likely their daughters will, and that's kind of the timeline that we're looking at for. I mean, there's something uh, really sort of poetic and 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 I mean, hopeful about that at, at the very least. I'm clinging to that. I really am. You know, um, it's uh, it's part of what has defined us. Uh, you know, being a farmstead cheesemaker uh, from the beginning. And, um, you know, we don't sell milk, uh, we sell uh, cheese. And so the minute that there's too much milk in the system, we, we need to, like, uh, manage our supply. And that really means uh, limiting the number of animals uh, that, uh, that we're, we're supporting and that are supporting us, right? It's Right, particularly if the amount of cheese you can sell down the road is... is steady or declining yeah. for the time being. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been a real roller coaster on the sales side too. Um I I ha- I have to imagine. I mean, what, so you say that it really hit you kind of that March 16th date. Um you know, what like what were the things? What were the effects that you were feeling up there? Did you did Vermont lock down? Did you like have sales did did people just call you and say actually we've changed our mind or or what happened? Yeah. Yeah, we had uh, um, we had pallets of cheese on trucks uh, that were refused. They're like purchase orders, you know, um, that were refused by customers. Um, you know, and normally, that, you know, if a customer wanted to cancel an order, they'd get get in touch with you before you palletized and shipped all that cheese out of the caves. Yeah, generally, when you have a purchase order, that's like a, a legally binding like commitment. Right. Um, and uh, this was a scenario where, you know, some food service distributors lost uh, 100% of their sales overnight and were just not going to be able to, like, take, you know, the cheese that they had ordered, even though it had already left our facility and was on a truck bound for their loading dock. And Now, is that maybe a slightly better scenario than them taking the cheese and not having the market and you not getting the receivables? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all it's all pretty complicated, particularly when you know such uh, such a, a large uh, proportion of our production is soft cheese, right? And so that was like one of the things that happened, meaning that it has like a, a relatively short shelf life and 
tying it up in being refused and 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 going all yeah. over the place. Uh, yeah, diminishes yeah, just that. Ex- expiring. <laughs> yeah, expiring before you can find a home for it, and um, it's um, um, you know, and true to form, uh, when shoppers uh, went to stock up on cheese at retail and their panic uh, buying. Um, in hoarding, they weren't hoarding soft cheese. You know, they're <laughs> they're they're buying like commodity and cheddar and you know parm and uh, cheese that was going to keep uh, uh, for a while. And so you know, we found ourselves with all this cheese that we had made uh, before uh, COVID uh, was a, even uh, an idea. Those like registering in our world, um, right? You're working for in your the pipeline, yeah, yeah. So, what do you like on a timeline for say Harbison? You know, what's how long that cheese gets made? How long before it hits market? It's about five weeks uh, when we ship it. So we had five weeks worth of Harbison um, in uh, in the pipeline uh, before we could make a decision to like drop production, right? Right, so it's like a fire hose just emptying out, and it's like, yeah. well, the fire, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, so when, when, uh, uh, when that happened, we ended up with about 12,000 pieces of Harbison that were, like, homeless, right? And um, we had about 10,000 Willoughby's. I, um, I personally ate about 1,612, I would say, somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah, it's, and... Um, you know, we got we were able to really like uh, communicate uh, with our partners you know, on the retail side of the business to move all of that cheese. And you know, we ran some crazy deals. Do we had like buy one get one free? Yeah, I mean, I know. just watched. Yeah, we I, gave I, away I, yeah, a lot took, of cheese. You know. We took advantage of that certainly, and 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 you know, try, I sold a ton of Harbison, and it was great. Yeah, and uh, better for uh, better for it to uh, get out of the cellars and be enjoyed than uh, you know than the alternative, uh, right? Which is like the compost uh, pile. Now, do you feel like this? So, this was something we remarked on in the show that I did with Elena. Um, this tendency for customers to to be buying to like retreat into their comfort zones and retreat into reliable, long shelf life cheeses. Um, do you feel like that, that initial reaction has softened at all? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I think, um, you know, that, um, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing like our, uh, weekly orders, like, um, uh, basically kind of stabilize, um, still not like pre COVID levels. B, I like we we like to call that BC before COVID. BC, yeah, yeah, not uh, <laughs> they're stabilized, but not like BC, right. um, and um, but they're uh, you know they're they're trending in the right direction, um, and we've had uh, some incredible support from some uh, big players out in the marketplace, uh, Murray's. Uh, uh, Kroger and um, and Whole Foods stepped up in a in a really uh, significant way to help us like uh, 
clear out uh, you know inventory that would otherwise uh, have have gotten gotten past us. And um, that's amazing because normally for larger companies like that, you don't really think of them as being necessary like you think of them as high volume but not not nimble or quick moving yeah um you know certainly with whole foods um it, you know speaking from experience it, it can take a long time to push a an item and a sale through their their system yeah yeah i uh, i think everybody recognized that there's one thing that uh, uh we don't have uh in in a crisis like that and that's that's time um, and I, you know, it's, it's, it's been remarkable, but it's not just like, uh, those, uh, bigger, um, retailers, it's like, uh, independence and everybody's pivoting and trying to, um, you know, support, uh, both their own business, but the suppliers that, uh, you know, really form the basis of, uh, this ecosystem that we all inhabit together and, um, it, this is really, uh, I feel like it's really like bringing, uh, br- you know, bringing interdependence into focus, um, right. in a way that maybe it, it wasn't so clear, uh, before like BC. Uh, For sure. Now, when you say interdependence, you just mean like how interconnected all of the, um, yeah. like all the different pieces of the supply chain are. Yeah, you know, uh, one thing that, uh, you know, was really stressing me out was like looking out at a future in which uh, like restaurants are gone, right? And so much of our business is the product really of the relationship between like chefs, their ingredients and the people behind those ingredients, right? Um, and so you, you're eliminating like a big uh, swath of, uh, of our market. And then you think about, I, I remember calling you up uh, like the week after this all went, started going down. And it was not clear that your shop could survive this. No, we were. I mean, we, there was a couple of days where we just, or, or I would say a couple of weeks where honestly, I, I, I would go to bed at night being like, we have to close like you know, I'm not willing to take these risks. I'm not willing to put my staff at risk, and I don't know financially whether we can make it. Uh, and then I would wake up in the morning and change my mind entirely. And um, you know, I, I still, I would say, I still have, I still have those those doubts and those questions about whether, um, you know, the 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 risks are are worth the staying open. Um, but then I just. So many of our customers have come in and and just talked about how the the normalcy um, the the or the the illusion of normalcy that's brought by being able to come into the shop and shop um, is is like a big part of their day and and that's that's honestly just the that emotional kind of lift is is what keeps us and 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 for uh, and for us on the on the like production side you know. Uh, Knowing that independent shops are out there and are thriving um, or surviving, if not thriving uh, in this moment, um, that, you know, shops that have been able to pivot and uh, be nimble and like, you know, keep at least a bookmark uh, in the marketplace uh, because, you know, uh, shops support so many other businesses and, um, 
I, I, I've, you know, I was so stressed out by the idea of a post-COVID world, a PC world, mm-hmm. where um, there are no restaurants, there are no independent shops, and uh, we're left with, what are we left with, you know, like you're, a you're box You're left with Olive Garden, and, right, and yeah. Big Box and Best Buys. Yeah, and, and that, that, was, uh, that was just, um, uh, that was terrifying. Um, and I think that uh, the work that uh, we've done over uh, collectively um, as, a, uh, as, a, as an industry um, and that's happening now uh, as is going to, uh, you know, uh, I think we're going to come out of this experience stronger as an industry in, in lots of ways. And so I, I'm, I'm optimistic that some good can come uh, of this. And if there is one thing um, that I, I'd like to uh, see is, uh, you know, more uh, like win-win-win type of uh, partnerships uh, that kind of uh, really celebrate and uh, support like the whole the whole chain uh, because right. we're instead of we're just zero sum arrangements yeah 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 um, well yeah and I think what I'd like to we're, we're going to have to take a break in a second but I think when we come back um, maybe you know we've we've sort of talked ethereally uh, or specifically about about very businessy stuff but I'd like to talk about kind of the the human experience that that you and your staff are, are having. Um, so uh, this is Cutting the Curd. Uh, we're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors, and uh, we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or a small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash curd. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. 
After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conte is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conte is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. All right, welcome back to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, I am Aaron Foster, your host for this COVID-19-focused look at uh, supply chains and, and uh, cheese businesses, both uh, retail and production in, in, in our new world. My guest today is... Uh, Matteo Keeler from the Cellars of Jasper Hill. Uh, so, Matteo, we were we were discussing before we took a break. Um, I think you had you had imagined a brave new world, or posited a brave new world, uh, and a, and a, a better, happier one where uh, PC that is post COVID, um, we might be able to rebuild our businesses and rebuild our business arrangements and supply chains in a way that makes them a little bit less zero sum and a little bit, I think you called it win, win, win. Um, and yeah, I like, I like winning. Yeah, I like it when like, everybody wins. Uh, we're going to win. You're, you're going to be win. sick of winning. Well, there's going to be yeah. so much winning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, winning bigly. Oh, uh, so bigly. God. Tremendous. Yes. Um, well, we, you know, we'll, we can, we'll set that aside for a moment. Um, <laughs> So I guess, so tell me a little bit about, um, you know, Vermont being a rural state um, and and, and an agricultural state, Um, you know, uh, so we've taken, we we have taken advantage just recently, we were able to get a a PPP loan um, through the CARES Act from the government. And uh, that's basically given us sort of a backstop to to allow us to rehire some people and pivot into online ordering and some things that we just didn't have the labor or the bandwidth to do. Um, and it's, it's, I, you know, I think the PPP is complicated for a variety of reasons. Um, and it, there are a lot of businesses that it, it isn't ideal for, but it, it, I think for businesses that have been able to remain open, um, but that have seen some struggles in terms of, uh, business dropping off, um, you know, it, it, it seems like it, it could be helpful. Have you guys looked into, like, are you, are you, have you taken advantage yeah, we're, of any federal yeah, or we're, state stuff? we're fully PPP'd. And, oh, um, you're, you're, you've PPP'd yeah. yourself. Yeah, we PPP'd ourselves, and um, we, we did that, like, straight away. Uh, we were, we banked with a community bank. Uh, we had an application, and three days later it was approved, and uh, the following uh, like week we closed. So like basically it was like 10 days from uh, when we filled out a, an application to when we had like cash in our bank account. And this, account. this was, was the first round? This was the first round. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You were the, the ones. Yeah. We, we're, you we and Ruth Chris. All, yeah. We took all of them. <laughs> and, and it was, it was actually uh, um, 
uh, I would say fundamental uh, to uh, helping us make some uh, good decisions uh, about uh, staffing uh, early on when uh, it was very dark uh, and uh, our future looked very bleak. Uh, yeah, we, when we spoke, you mentioned that conversation earlier. I think we both just felt real shitty. Yeah, it was not. It was not. Uh, it was not hopeful. We couldn't see, uh, uh, you know, a way through this. And PPP helped us. Uh, there's a combination, you know. I think like uh, taking, uh, dispersing our herd, and reducing our uh, cash uh, out demands, uh, along with PPP and. Uh, we did all uh, take uh, a pay cut in, in the business. Um, the combination of those things really kind of... Uh, but we didn't, we didn't lay anybody off, right? We've been able to keep our whole team Oh, intact. that's great. And, now, has uh, anyone self opted to self-furlough out of sort of fear? Um, no. Or just, you know, just concern? Okay, that's great, yeah. No, no. People um, in, in uh, the business, I think, are are really grateful to have a job. Um, you know, there's a lot of unemployment in Vermont, just like uh, the rest of the country. Um, you know, so uh, people are very psyched to have a job, uh, a good job. And I've taken, um, I, I, you know, I basically started communicating broadly with everybody in our business uh, in a very transparent and direct way about what's happening in the company and how we're trying to make decisions um, and where we are like week to week um, as this uh, progresses. And, um, you know, I think we're on the verge of like making, making everybody whole for the, uh, the loss of pay so far because we're, uh, we're climbing out of the hole we were in and we're going to come out of this and hopefully, uh, you know, PPP is going to like end for us um, Probably I any day it, now, soon. No. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's soon. Um, and we're actually hiring uh, because wow. uh, we, we are feeling pretty short-staffed uh, because of what's happened uh, on the operations side of the business. Now, uh, what does that mean exactly? Well, um, you know, we had uh, been uh, making a lot of cheese and, uh, you know, washing and turning and brushing and uh, packing a lot of cheese. We took uh, our production, we dropped production, um, we dropped hours uh, on the production side of the business. Uh, but at the sellers, um, you know, our mail order business has just ex like exploded. Um, I think like year to date, um, Mail order is up like one thousand seven hundred and forty percent, or something like that. It's ridiculous. Um, we get, you know, we've been getting like a thousand orders a week, and there are weeks now where fifty percent of our sales are online. Uh, wow, and, that's that's crazy. And um, that's a is, higher labor business, obviously, um, oh, but yeah. it's also a higher margin business. It's uh, we're working a lot harder. <laughs> <laughs> than, than, than we were before. and um, uh, ma But mail order is really keeping the lights on for us. And, you know, for all you listeners out there, buying, uh, buying a, a piece of cheese from a retailer 
um, is uh, the number one, uh, like number one uh, option for us. Best option is go find yourself a retailer and like create demand for our cheeses in oh, a good. retail. I, really, I thought you were just about to tell people to just order from you instead of no. come to me. <laughs> no, we need we need our customers uh, to survive this too. But there are lots of people that have not been able to access, you know. Um, like good cheese and that Retail. also uh, Absolutely, are, are, of course. Yeah, are committed to uh like uh our success and um we're uh we're so uh grateful for that because our ability to basically like pivot from, you know, uh washing a lot of Willoughby to like putting uh cheese in little boxes and sending uh them off into the world and giving uh, people an incredible experience uh, and connecting with them in in a new way has been uh, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of work uh, but it is really uh, you know quote, uh, quote unquote saved our bacon and, Tot- uh, yeah that's uh, that's great uh, you know I, it's it's remarkable I know we talked about this a little bit but like you know, I, I feel personally, I feel like we're we're running a fundamentally different business than we were three months ago, um, and it sounds like you guys are too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, yeah, it's uh, uh, it's been it's been uh, really inspiring to watch um, our our whole crew kind of uh, rise up uh, to to the uh, challenge of reinventing uh, like w- what we do <laughs> in the building. <laughs> This is totally different. Now, did you have uh, uh, did you have any like sort of did you find it hard to lead people into you know changing their jobs either partially or completely from what they were doing before? Presumably, you have less people making cheese, but you need people packing boxes. And um, you know, was it you know something that we're encountering here is 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 a little bit of uh, like how do you change your mind? Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I think the way that we did it was we uh, uh, we changed everything because uh, we went to like social distanced uh, shift work uh, at the same time, right? Um, which meant that uh, suddenly we had uh, two shifts uh, that didn't overlap, uh, comprised of pods of either two or four people that didn't mix with other pods. And uh, we had to reinvent all the work that happened in the building. And uh, this was just part of it. You know, the mail order the ske- was just The scheduling alone on that is just gives me a headache. Oh, it was, it was, it's, it's, it really is. Uh, it's, it's been mental. Um, and you know what? Like, our, our, it's, it's been hard. There's just no other word to describe it. Uh, but, um, you know... We have the best team, you know. If, if we've had any success, it's because we have the best team, and people are in it to win it. So, uh, I'm I'm pretty. Uh, I feel really privileged uh, to uh, be surrounded by people that are willing and able to like, uh, you know, kind of uh, do the like build the airplane thing. I think is right. Uh, you know, um, so. Uh, for all those reasons, I'm optimistic. Um, That's, I mean, it's it's good. I feel like optimism is something that, in you know, in these times, like uh, it's like a superpower to be able to hold on to that and use and like wield it 
uh, in a productive way. Yeah, you know, um, we have some uh, significant challenges before us still, um, like really kind of significant uh, challenges. It's like if you looked at if you look at our, uh, you know, our production, every cheese has a very unique uh, story from an inventory and sales uh, perspective. Uh, when social distancing uh, went into effect, uh, we learned that about 35% of our sales uh, was were going to chefs uh, into the food service. Right, because you probably didn't necessarily have transparency into that exact number because of the way that you sell through wholesalers and distributors. Yeah, yeah, we, we couldn't tell. We didn't, we didn't really know. Um, and and then, uh, but there's certain cheeses where uh, that is like you know much greater percentage. Like Bailey, uh, we've learned is actually seventy percent food service. Wow. Yeah, and uh, so we have um, we have a couple of uh, things going on. Uh, Bailey. Uh, Oh, we've got like, uh, I think 1400 wheels of Bailey, which, you know, it was 2800, um, you know, uh, just, uh, uh, a few days ago before. Like, I know. I know. feel like it's, it's going, yeah. I feel like that yeah. was the number I heard a couple of days ago. Yeah. It was 2800, a, a few days ago and, uh, we're down to 1400, <laughs> but that's still a lot is that of e-commerce. How are you blowing that out? Uh, well, it's way more than we've been giving away a lot of Bailey. Um, right. So if you like, if you order uh, uh, a quarter wheel of Bailey on our website right now, you get a half. Uh, you get an eight. Uh, I'm sorry. If you order an eighth wheel, we we like give you a quarter wheel. You know. Oh, nice. We're, yeah. We're 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 giving a lot of cheese away. It's we're doing the same. Well, and it's thing better we to get did. cheese into people's mouths than havoc them. Yeah. The garbage can. Yeah, but that's a, that's still a lot of that's a lot of pounds of cheese and more than uh, you know our mail order program is going to be able to like, sure. uh, touch. You know, and that's the thing about mail order mm-hmm. is uh, great. You know, top line sales and uh, but the volume isn't there. And, right. Um, um, we're you know uh, we're a volume wholesale. Um, Based business because we're interested in, uh, you know, the way we think about our business is really um, like acres of land plugged into a market and, you know, number of cows uh, on that land, on, on those acres. And one cow can produce 1,800 to 2,000 pounds of cheese a year. And uh, that's, you know, that's a lot. That's a lot of that's cheese. A lot. That's, a lot. that's a lot of cheese. <laughs> So I guess that that brings me to my question, like, you know, how do you adjust? I always think of this when when I talk to cheesemakers and they talk about inventing a new cheese where it's just like, and I remember when you guys were developing Alpha Tolman, I was just like, you just make a fucking shit ton of cheese uh, in different kind of iterations you don't know if the salt level is going to be right you don't know if the cultures are going to be right or the fat content is going to be exactly this or that um and then you've got to age it for a year and and wait and see um yeah, yeah it's like alpha tolman's like a 20 year pro <laughs> right and so you know where does that leave you net like are you 
how do you think about, in terms of short-term and long-term uncertainty, adjusting your production aside, like, obviously you talked about selling the herd, but like, um, do you look at rejiggering soft cheese to hard cheese ratios? Oh yes. Uh, not knowing whether in a year from now you'll be a glut of hard cheese and people will want soft cheese again. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really hard because, um, the thing about soft cheese is it, it's cash flow. Uh, that really keeps uh, you know the business uh, rolling along, and uh, when you take your soft cheese production down and put milk into hard cheese instead, what you're doing is you're postponing cash flow, right? Um, and that that's uh, that's that's extremely like painful. The other uh, the, so uh, we're making as much soft cheese as we think we can sell, and maybe even a little more because we'd rather uh, not lose the opportunity for that cash flow, uh, particularly now uh, in, in this moment where we, we are going to live or die based on our ability to manage that cash flow. So if you make too much hard cheese, two things happen. One, you fill up your cellar. And two, you delay cash flow in a way that's like really painful for the business. Right. So you could both um, bottleneck production and you're just delaying the inevitable of having to make soft cheese because you don't have yeah. any room for more hard cheese. Yeah. And you're cutting off any, you know, immediate yeah. cash flow. Yeah, and it uh, turns out that, uh, you know, the moisture in Harbison, um, you know, because of the yield uh, there, uh, there's so much more margin for us in right, Harbison than there is in Alpha Tolman. It's just a lot uh, more water out there. Yeah, it's a, it's a water that, uh, that we put a value of about $255 a gallon on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, wow, that's wild. It's funny. It also just occurred to me. There's there's an analogy to be drawn there with like the Federal Reserve and like you know def like just adding more deficit spending um, yeah. and putting that burden on the future to have to yeah yeah yeah. And so the other issue, like for a business like ours, that's uh, uh, confounding is that we're at capacity uh, in our cheddar vaults. So uh, when uh, we're not able to move cheddar out uh, of the vaults, it means that we can't move uh, younger cheese in, right? And we've learned this the hard way in the past, and that is that like this time of year, if you don't get cheese out, then you don't get the holiday sales in Q4, right? So it doesn't just bite you uh, like the loss of sales now, uh, you also get bit later uh, when you haven't been able to turn that inventory so you don't have uh, ripe cheese to sell in, in the fourth quarter. And so uh, we've been going on, you know, at really uh, working on making sure that like Cabot clothbound movement uh, doesn't slow down because uh, we believe there's going to be another round of social distancing in the fourth quarter. And uh, the only thing worse than losing sales now is losing sales in the fourth quarter, uh, because that that that's when cheesemakers and retailers, you know, make um, make their bank for the year. So yeah, and all, our whole system is set up to you know to suck it away then, and if you don't have enough of a uh, a nest egg put away in the fourth quarter, um, you really sh- you can be in trouble. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. So you're, 
to a certain extent, you're reading the tea leaves and and trying to make educated guesses based on, you know, things that you don't necessarily know about epidemiology yeah. and what have you, um, and hope that you've made the right choices, which you won't know the answer to for a while. But yeah. again, that that is sort of the cheesemakers, like the that's the way. Like you know, you make up the cheese that you have to age for eighteen months or what have you, and uh, oh shit, you oversalted it. Yeah. I guess it'll be another couple of years before I... Yeah, Uh, yeah, you know, and I think one of the things that uh, has really become uh, clear is we're making decisions now about cheese for next year, right? Uh, That we'll we'll sell in uh, 2021. And uh, nobody knows what the world's going to look like. Yeah, but it, it's our relationship and uh, inviting our customers into uh, a dialogue so they can understand our business um, and uh, we can uh, like help make sure that uh, they they have cheese to sell uh, when the when the time comes and that like the interdependence the give and take the dialogue and the friendship and the partnerships that I think uh, are, are going to be strengthened by this kind of experience uh, that, um, you know, uh, gives me some kind of hope because, um, you know, we're, not, we're nothing without our customers uh, on the one hand, but our customers all need great cheese. And uh, I think uh, there's a, a, a moment here uh, where like retailers, um, and chefs, uh, consumers, uh, and cheesemakers need to have some clear communication of, and an understanding of what we all have to lose. Um, if, if, if the dollars don't flow, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in, in strategic and, uh, in, in ways that can preserve, uh, you know, uh, Cheap, both cheesemakers and 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 the whole chain, right? So, so I'm gonna demateoize that for a second. It sounds it sounds like what you're saying is a rising tide floats all boats, and we we you know we owe it to each other to to ride the same tide and 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 not you know not continue to kind of think of this as a zero sum scenario where if I if if I win you lose and vice versa. Yeah. Um, you know, we, uh, we, uh, I've been working on this uh, thing called Victory Cheese. Uh, and the, the tagline for Victory Cheese is uh, choose it or lose it. It's a play on Victory Gardens. Um, yes, I, is, I feel like I saw something from Anne Saxelby just today about that. Yeah, yeah, right. So uh, uh, we've got uh, Anne uh, going on this idea. Um, and it really is... Uh, you know, uh, a, a lightning rod for PR uh, and uh, to, to basically help uh, tell the story of what's happening in American cheese and uh, give uh, uh, chefs who are doing curbside and retailers uh, the opportunity to, uh, you know, support uh, American artisan cheesemakers in uh, a really kind of overt way um, because uh, if if we don't 
uh, figure out how to like connect consumers with American cheese in this moment, uh, there's going to be a lot of cheesemakers that won't won't make it. Uh, right. You know, so we have a lot to lose, uh, but I think we also have this great opportunity to like uh, strengthen the chain. Band together um, and, and, and band together. Yeah, we're all in this together. You know, we hear it all the time. Well, I can't think of a I can't think of a better note to leave it on. Um, and and I have to say, it's you know it it's really refreshing and and inspiring to have a, a conversation based in optimism and and looking forward to the PC era. Um, yes. And uh, and and uh, yeah, I think it uh it, it makes me feel a little bit. A little bit better, and uh, I, you know, it, it also I think enjoins me and and Foster Sundry and, and other retailers to the cause, and uh, we, you know, we certainly I think share a lot of the same values and and want to be a part of uh, Victory Cheese and uh, and of the future of the industry. Yeah, thanks, um, man. I'm, yeah, uh, so Matteo, thank you so much. Uh, my guest uh, again is Matteo Keeler. Uh, co-founder of the sellers at Jasper Hill Farm, cheesemaker, entrepreneur, bon vivant. Um, and uh, this has been Cutting the Curd Radio. I am your host, Aaron Foster, on the Heritage Radio Network, and uh, we'll see you soon. Be well, be safe, so long. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.